Welcome to the Thriving on Purpose podcast, where we teach Christian entrepreneurs how to build a strong foundation of faith, growth, and skill to lead and thrive on purpose in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, certified coaches, Elizabeth and Sebastian Richard. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode eight of the Thriving on Purpose podcast. I am your host, Sebastian Richard, and I am along, as usual, with my lovely wife, Elizabeth Richard. So today we we are going to discuss a hot topic, the love of money and the pride of poverty. In today's podcast, we will answer a question that few dare to ask. Is it wrong for a Christian to be prosperous? Now, I know most of you will have the knee-jerk reaction to answer, of course not. But is this what we really believe? Mm. Money is a huge subject matter in the life of the believer. There are 2,500 scriptures on how to handle money and possessions in the Bible. Did you guys know that? Yes, that many. And no, we will not share all of them in today's episode. So with so many verses on money, if you read your Bible, it will be on your mind for sure. If we really think about it, many believers have the wrong perception, mindset, and approach when it comes to money. And while most would say there is nothing wrong with a Christian to be rich, many secretly think that it is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. You know the verse? Mm-hmm. In fact, it's safe to say that most Christians have stinking thinking when it comes to money. And this rotten mindset often oscillates between two sinful extremes. Mm. So the first one is the love of money, which is rarer among believers and the more common. And second, the pride of poverty. <laughs> so we're going to go dig deeper into this. Um, Sebastian, would you expand on the pride of poverty, please? Yeah, I mean, everybody's familiar with the love of money is the root of all evil. I mean, if you're a Christian, you've probably heard it hundreds of times. But the pride of poverty, what the heck is that? Well, here's the thing that I've noticed with Christians is that some of us will pride ourselves in being poor. I know it sounds crazy, but I have seen it time and again, and I myself have fallen into that very sin. And I say it's a sin because when you pride yourself on being poor, on having lack, there's something definitely wrong here, okay? Obviously, you shouldn't love money if you're Christian, but you shouldn't pride yourself in being poor either. But first, before we dig, it, we dig deep into that, I'd like to tell you about my own financial journey. Uh, maybe most of you guys don't know me very well, but it, I had a Christian upbringing. Although I was raised Catholic as a young man, I later, uh, when I was 9 or 10, we joined an evangelical church, and that's where I grew in uh, the evangelical uh, mindset. But before that, I was still raised as a Christian, okay? So I was taught to be humble and kind. I was taught to follow the fine example of Jesus and his apostles. And I was taught not to love money. Because the love of money, as you know, is the root of all evil. The love of money, right? 
I read many times in the Bible that we cannot serve two masters. That's another verse we're familiar with, God and money, right? For if we, uh, we would learn to love one and hate the other if we serve two masters, right? That's what we're taught by Jesus. I also read that it is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. So all these principles, all these verses were repeated to me from my youth over and over and over again. So I came to, be, to believe it very strongly. In fact, I believed it so strongly that I fell in a trap and I did like the Pharisees of old and I twisted its meaning and application in order to make myself appear greater in my own eyes. Mm. So in order to feel like an ultra-spiritual and virtuous man, I began believing the lie that there is virtue in poverty, hence the pride of poverty. So conversely, I also believed for the longest time that riches made men wicked and full of vice. And the fact that my dad, who was poor, he was on welfare most of his life, he repeatedly called the rich by all kinds of bad names, which I will not repeat here for your sweet little ears, uh, dear believers. <laughs> but he, he called them names that were really not flattering, okay? And it didn't help. I mean, when you hear your father repeat all kinds of stuff about rich people, and well, guess what? It, it impacts how you believe as you grow up. So in my eyes, when I grew up, rich people were pretty much doomed to be vicious, ungodly rats or snakes, while poor people were virtuous and victims of unfortunate circumstance. So I equated poverty with humility and grace and riches with greed and evil. Well, as you probably know, it will be done to us as we believe. So, because of my firmly held belief that riches equated with ungodliness, I was never wealthy. For most of my life, I was always left with too much money at the end of my money, if you know what I mean. I basically sabotaged myself through my own dysfunctional BS. Uh, what I mean by that, my BS is belief system, okay? Just so you guys know and follow my <laughs> train of thought here. So it was my own personal dysfunctional belief system about money. And it was really dysfunctional. My whole beliefs about money, wealth, virtue, and vice were completely turned around. When, in financial dire straits, okay, just a few years back, I began praying to God for, you guessed it, money. Now, this was a difficult thing for me to resort to uh, because at the time, it seemed like a prayer that was unbefitting a believer. However, I was so troubled by my lack of financial ease and my debts that I chanced it, even if it meant that I would possibly be rebuked by God. I didn't care at that point. We were in deep doo-doo. And I said, you know what? I, I just got to pray for money. We're in trouble. I have kids to provide for. This is too hard, and God, help me, give me cash. <laughs> or give me a way to get cash. Give me something. So that's when the father decided to school me in the area of money and wealth. No, he didn't give me a check. There, there, there weren't many checks that started to pop in my mailbox. That didn't happen. I didn't win the lotto. Instead of that, instead of give me, giving me a fish... God taught me to fish, okay? You know the proverb, if you give a man a fish, you feed him it for a day. But if you teach him how to fish, you feed, feed him for his whole lifetime. 
So my first lesson happened in a bookstore. I was browsing at my local Indigo bookstore. For you guys listening in, in uh, the U.S., Indigo is kind of like the equivalent of um, Barnes & Noble. Okay, So I was at my local Indigo bookstore and I went into unfamiliar territory, the finance section. I often spent my time in the Christianity section or even in, I would probably go to nature section or even medicine before I would go to financial section back a few years back. So that for me was very unfamiliar, unfamiliar territory. But there on the shelf, I saw a book that caught my attention. But it was more than that. Okay, I really think God had a hand in it. I actually felt pulled towards the book. I felt compelled to buy this book. And this book would serve to completely re-educate me and reforge my beliefs about money. Most of the time, we choose our books. But this time, I have to say, the book chose me. And the book's title, you probably know the, the book. If you're in anything in any personal development at all, you've probably heard that title, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. That's the book that I bought on that day. And after reading Think and Grow Rich, I began to fully grasp the many misunderstandings that Christians, including myself, me first and foremost, have towards wealth. That's when God began my re-education. Yeah, so this definitely started um, an interesting journey for me and Sebastian. And uh, it also, with the different readings that I did, it also made me realize that I too had a lot of negative beliefs when it, when it came to money. Um, Sebastian talked to you a bit about his upbringing uh, with his father and what his father had to say about wealthy people. Well, I was raised more in a middle-class society, so I was a little more um, closer to people that had money uh, and you know, dry, drove Cadillacs and went to nice restaurants. And mm -hmm. um, We didn't have that, but we knew a lot of people that did, so I was more um, you know, immersed in that in that society if you want um, my father was middle class so we had you know we weren't raised poor but yet my father always used terms when it came to money and would say um, you know that we didn't have enough money and there was always like a limiting um, when he'd speak it was always negative towards money that we didn't have enough and that we couldn't buy certain things mm. um, and uh, in his mind, wealthy people were people not like us, and there was no way he was ever going to be like those people. Mm. And it was just... He saw them as superior. He saw them as superior, and in his mind, they were so, you know, far gone, way before, like, you way know, ahead. in another dimension that he will never attain. And he used to tell me something, uh, terms like, oh, they're a lot smarter than I am. Uh, you know, they, they, they figured out, you know, they're really good with math and numbers and they're really smart and that's why they have so much money. So people will have their own beliefs about wealthy people and, you know, put those um, foundations in front of them. Like they'll put those barriers, if you want, so that they don't go towards that. Mm. So they stop themselves because they have just decided that that's the way it is. It must have been like Sebastian's father said, because they're, you know, cheating they're people rats, and they're, they're rats. Snakes. Or, you know, they're in a league of 
of their own and we they're unattainable mm. and God has graced them with super intelligence that we do not have and, mm-hmm. and all of that is false so I grew up believing that there was you know that was just not attainable and that wasn't going to happen uh, for my family as well okay. so it's very important to understand this that um, from a young age depending on what your parents have told you about money you will believe a certain thing about money and it's kind of harder to uh, once you have that fixed mindset about money, it's kind of harder to undo, to uh, be able to be open towards it. Mm. So I want to bring us to the first myth. The first myth is the rich will not enter the kingdom of heaven. We have all heard Jesus saying, it is harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. This for some has become more to mean the rich will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, period, right? Period, exactly. So this reasoning made many believers justify staying poor as saying, well, I'm scared. I have to stay poor because I won't enter the kingdom, the kingdom of, heaven. of heaven because it's wrong to be rich. Yes, so true. And this saying comes from the conversation that Jesus had in the in the Gospels with the rich young ruler. And I, I'm... For the sake of time, we don't want to take too much time. I don't want to read the whole passage. But the rich young ruler came to see Jesus and he said, Good teacher, what good thing must I do that I may have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Well, you know, uh, you need to follow the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal, etc., etc. It's funny, actually, in the passage, the rich young ruler says, Which ones? He's like really pushing Jesus to the edge. If you read the story in context, you understand after you've read it that the rich young ruler was not a kingdom citizen. In other words, it is quite obvious that he was not walking with God, okay? So for some people, that might be a little confusing when they read the text, but if you really take your time to read, you'll understand that this this kid, this young man, he was not walking with God. His riches were the thing that uh, were his God for him, okay? So the young man said to him after Jesus said the commandments, he says, Oh, all these things I've kept from my youth. What do I still lack? Like, talk about arrogance, really. Mm -hmm. So Jesus said to him, Okay, so you want to be perfect? Then go. Sell all that you have and give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. (laughs) Talk about a change of lifestyle, right? So when the young man heard that saying, he went away very sad, very sorrowful, for he had a lot of possessions. And then Jesus turned to his disciples and told them what we were familiar with. He said, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, which means furthermore, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So that's the passage. That's where we get this from. Now, there's a lot of meat in this particular story from uh, the Gospels, and I will not go into it fully here. No worries. Uh, but there's three three points that I really want to make as uh, rapidly. First, the rich young ruler, as I, as I mentioned, he did not know God. Okay, He was only religious and maybe even just pretending to be religious. So basically, he was outside of the kingdom of heaven. Number two, Jesus said it was hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say it is impossible. I think that's a good, uh, it's important distinction to make. 
uh, I remember Jim Rohn gave a talk and he was talking about this very passage. And uh, he said, Jesus said it's hard. He didn't say it's impossible. And then he added with his familiar humor, he said, I love a good challenge because Jim Rohn had quite a bit of money, but he was a man who loved and feared God. And it showed in every time he spoke, he, he would slip in a few verses here and there and he, he loved Jesus. Right. So that was a, a funny thing. And number three, and this is the most important, I believe this is from my own study in the scripture and my own observation in considering people and people in my surrounding and my study of human behavior, okay? I believe that this mostly applies to what the rich man has in his life first. So what is the first thing that this particular verse applies to? Like the, it is harder for a rich man to enter. Well, okay, does he have first money in his life? Or does he have first God in his life? And I really believe that this particular passage applies to people who have money before they know God. For those, it is harder for them to enter the, king, the kingdom of heaven. So in other words, what did the person grow acquainted with first? For example, if a man grew up in wealth but knows not God, it is very likely that he will not seek God. Why is that? Well, his wealth will keep him from the greater good because it does satisfy earthly needs. When you have a lot of money, it fixes a heck of a lot of problems. So, as a human being and human nature being what it is, if you have a lot of wealth and you have not had an encounter with God yet, this is where the verse fits, okay? And it's, it's my personal observation. Again, I might be wrong, but I, and I believe conversely that if a man knows God first and then becomes wealthy, then chances are it, he will retain his morals, his faith, and his generosity. I believe that if a person comes to know Jesus Christ and has a personal walk with God before they become wealthy, the verse does not apply in the same way and to the same extent. So that's very important. Absolutely. And that's a, a very good observation. And we've seen that with many people yes. um, in our entourage. Um, money does fix a lot of problems and it is a lot easier to you know, not rely on God and not, it's, you know, it's, it's a simpler life unless something that can't be controlled by money hits you, right? Like health or then people tend to, to wonder and ask God questions yeah. and, and, you know, um, God sometimes uses those trials, those, uh, events in our lives to bring us to him. Mm. Um, so it's a, it's a really good observation. And that brings us to the myth number two. The Bible teaches us to hate money. Another verse we all know is 1 Timothy 6.10, which says, The love of money is the root of all evil. The first thing is to keep the verse well quoted. Many have said money is the root of all evil, which is a serious misquote. Mm -hmm. It is the love of money, which is the root of all evil. So go. not money itself. No. 
Paul is actually pointing to our attitudes towards money and not money itself, which is neutral. There you go. And that's so important. The distinction is so important to make. But for the sake of understanding, let's keep the verse in its whole context. So the verse is 1 Timothy 6, and the context is verses 6 to 10. And let's read the whole thing because I think it really puts everything in perspective. Now, godliness is contentment, with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich, and here's a very interesting distinction here, who desire to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare, a trap, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For, that's when he gives us the verse, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So he's warning believers here. See, like, guys, be careful. If, you, if you're a believer and you fall into the trap, the snare of the love of money, it's going to give you a lot of sorrow. Yeah, exactly, because people um, can tend to get greedy and have all these uh, sinful natures flourish inside of them, especially if they're not close to God and grounded. Mm. Um, so for some, since the love of money is the root of all evil, Christians should then hate money. So some people are so scared mm. of that trap of saying, you know, if I did have a lot of money, then I'd probably... Uh, I don't know, would buy five different cars that I don't really need and I would do this with my money and I would do that. Like they're scared of, of, of what they might of do. What they might do if they and, do have money. And yeah. jump into this materialistic um, snare and, you know, it could unleash a lot of other problems. Mm -hmm. So some of them will tend to see it as evil because they're scared of what they might do. And they use other verses to justify their beliefs, such as James 5, 1 to 6. Which we won't go into here, but it's another passage of scripture where the rich are really like placated by James. <laughs> but again, in context, when you read it, you understand what he's actually saying. It's basically those who use riches to for only personal gain and who are ungodly and blah, blah, blah. But I won't go in, in the detail here. So... Yeah, some Christians, like the pride of poverty, that's where it is, right? They, they, they pride themselves in hating money, right? Absolutely. So the point is this. The scriptures are full of wealthy men who were also godly, virtuous, and honorable. If you go in the, the Old Testament, you have Abraham, Joseph, Job, uh, Jacob, David, Solomon, just to name a few. And surely these guys found a happy place after they died, right? I mean, money uh, did not corrupt them. And uh, so the Bible surely doesn't point for us to hate money, obviously. Because if it were so, I think that most of the heroes of the faith would have been pretty much broke. <laughs> exactly. <right? laughs> I don't think we would have had examples of men who were absolutely incredibly wealthy. Of course, there's a snare there associated, so we have to be careful. Uh, but I know, I actually know a good number of wealthy men of faith who actually do so much good with their money and who are virtuous, who walk with God, who love Him passionately, and who want to do phenomenal things with their money. 
So while the Bible condemns the love of money, it nowhere teaches us to hate money, which is a falsehood that should be debunked. It's a myth. Exactly. I, I really like this point that you bring about um, because in the whole Bible, there's, like you say, Abraham, Joseph, Job, David, Solomon, so many influential godly men yeah. that are virtuous, that are close to God and want to do right by him and are blessed with wealth. And um, I think that we can find a lot of good examples in, in 2018 of good and virtuous godly men that God has blessed with wealth and are doing great things with their wealth to mm -hmm. help poor people, to help all kinds of different causes out there. So that brings us to the third myth. Poverty makes you more like Jesus. So we have seen so far that riches do not equate vice or immorality, but nor does poverty equate with virtue and felicity. Poverty does not make you holier. Let me repeat that. Poverty does not make you holier, nor does it make you more like Jesus. Yes, you put it so well. Poverty doesn't make you more like Jesus. That is another myth. And a myth that I fell in. I mean, I, I bought the lie. I mean, hook, line, and sinker. Uh, back in the day when I thought, <laughs> you know what? The more broke I am, the more like Jesus I am. Because he had nowhere to lay his head. And he was he was the son of a carpenter. And he stayed poor all his life when he started his ministry. He was, But that is just a misconception of, first of all, your own calling. I mean, we don't all have the same calling. That's a big mistake, right? Um, to think that because Jesus uh, was not walking in riches, that we should do exactly like him in order to be godly. That is, that might not be at all what God has planned for you, especially as a Christian entrepreneur. Come on now. I mean, this is, this is a show for Christian entrepreneurs. And I sure hope that If you're a Christian entrepreneur, you didn't make a vow of poverty because that would be really contradictory. So I'll tell you something, okay? I grew up among poor people and I can definitely attest that many of them were far from the sight of angels. They were far from being more like Jesus because they were poor. In fact, some of them actually had many vices and they were very corrupt morally, okay? So, yes, we have scriptural examples of, of men who were extremely godly. Jesus is the top of the line, of course, who didn't have that much money. But his calling made it so. I mean, that's it had to do with that. I mean, if, if his calling had been any different and God would have chosen, he could have made him wealthy. But that's not what he wanted. He wanted to set an example for us. And Jesus was the best example of someone who has no earthly attachments, mm -hmm. but who is all kingdom-minded. And I think that's the main thing. And that is why also, when Jesus spoke of John the Baptist, he spoke so highly of him. He wasn't pointing, saying, go and live in the desert and eat locusts and honey and be like John the Baptist because he's so awesome. He was just saying, look, among the men born of women, none is greater than John the Baptist. Why? Is it because he was poor and, you know, wearing a camel hide and, and eating locusts? No, that's not. It's because John the Baptist was so kingdom-minded that everything else faded in importance after this. And he had a special prophetic calling on his life. Not everybody is called to be a street preacher. Right. And so there are John the Baptists today. 
mm-hmm. who you would talk to who might not have a penny to their name, but who are fulfilled, happy, living the bliss of walking with God. But it's a very particular kind of calling. And if you're a Christian entrepreneur, obviously that's not your calling, right? I mean, God has probably called you to make some money somewhere by providing incredible value to people. Okay, so I just want to make the distinction here that poverty does not make you more like Jesus. Okay, what makes you more like Jesus is embracing God's calling on your life with all of your heart. Now, that's what makes you more like Jesus. Yeah, and I'll point out, you know, there's kind of an extreme to that, uh, even amongst women in churches. You know, we have uh, big, big churches where there's some women that you know, over-exaggerate with the wealth, uh, with jewelry and, you know, everything about them. Just all you can see is wealth. Opulence, yeah. Yeah, opulence on them and a lot of materialistic um, tendencies. And then you have the total opposite. I've gone to churches where it's almost a sin to wear makeup and, you know, you you have to look like a, a grandmother to be virtuous. And, you know, there's a total extreme out there. little joke here. I like what Paul Washer once said. And Paul Washer, by the way, is super conservative. But he was, he was once asked, is it a sin to wear makeup? He said, for certain women, the way they put the makeup on... It bears, it puts so much attention on them that yes, it is a, a, a sin. He said, and yet for others, it would be a sin not to wear any. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. But my, my point was mostly, you know, some women think that they're being super virtuous by looking poor and, you know, just not being attached to any, any materialistic um, tendencies and and visually their appearance and everything but it doesn't necessarily uh, you know make you more like Jesus it's really the heart you know the heart that's uh, that's the what per- the Bible says actually. exactly yeah. the person can you know like certain fashionable things um, you know and be well dressed and have a certain amount of wealth and still be a person that seeks God's uh, you know, purpose for her life. Well, your and, mother was a lot and, like that. Yeah, my mom yeah. was a lot like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, very close to the Lord. And so, you know, we have to... to and yet very well-dressed and, and chic and, and had classic, an elegant yeah. grace about her. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Yeah. So, number so this leads us, Yeah, this leads us to the next myth that we want to debunk. Number four, God wants you to be rich. And if you're anywhere in Christianity, you probably had a, uh, an encounter in some ways or another with the prosperity gospel. Obviously, this is where we get it from, right? God wants you to be rich. It's God's will for you to be wealthy. God doesn't want you to be broke. God didn't make broke people. I mean, I've heard it all, right? And yet we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So from the moment of salvation, God, through the Holy Spirit, proceeds in two distinct ways to sanctify you. What does sanctify mean? Well, it means to set you apart. Okay? God wants you to be, once you're saved, set apart. So not only are you going to stand out in a corrupt world, but you're going to be set apart for His service and His purpose. Okay, that's what sanctify means, set apart. So the two ways that he proceeds to sanctify you is, number one, he conforms you more and more to the image and likeness of Christ. So gradually as you you walk with him, his goal 
is to perfect you in your uh, take make your sin nature less and less and make the holy spirit's uh, fruit more and more in your life number two he makes you fruitful by enabling you to multiply your gifts and your talents and that also is an extremely important component of your sanctification i mean it, it, it's a it's a dual thing it's not just god wants to make you more and more like jesus but also god wants to make you more and more fruitful because he's he put you on earth with an incredible potential with talent with abilities he wants those developed to the max okay so to this end he may or may not use abundance of resources so what do i mean by that <laughs> simply this god may want you to be rich and successful or and, and this might shock some people or not your financial situation granted by god will be in line with who he needs you to become and also with what he wants you to do. Depending on where you're at in your sanctification process and where he wants you to go and what he wants you to do and also coupled with your ability to do it, God may or may not bless you with financial abundance. So what do I mean again with that? Well, quite simply, sometimes in our spiritual progress, it is necessary for us to go through a season of brokenness. And sometimes that season of brokenness may include financial hardship. I know that's a tough pill to swallow, especially for Christian entrepreneurs. Because, I mean, we believe that God gave us a vision and we're building it and we're trying to do our darndest to make it happen. And yet, when we're failing at it, when things aren't going well and when we're going into debt or we're having problems, well, we might become bitter. And yet, this too is part of your sanctification. And the, same, the reverse is also true. The lessons you learn as you prosper are also very important. How you manage the resources that God gives you, the money that God gives you, this is all part of your sanctification process. And he wants you to become more and more generous as you grow in riches, obviously. But that begins with small resources. How generous are you when you have five bucks in your pocket? Will probably determine how generous you are when you have 500 in your pocket and 5,000 and 5 million. You understand? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the sanctification process, we see that in many um, great stories of great leaders that we know today um, that started out with nothing and yeah. God had to bring them to that you know, to that place where they knew what it was to want, where they knew what it was to lack yeah. and um, use that to build them up and and bless them in the process as he was sanctifying them. And let's be honest, we learn more when we lack than when we prosper. And I'm not, I'm not dissing the prosperity thing here. It's awesome when we prosper and we're having a great season and, and God's just pouring on the blessings. And yet... Our human nature, the way we're made, we tend to learn a heck of a lot more in the tough times. Right. So now whether he wants you to be rich or not for what he has planned for you, you must be able to say like the Apostle Paul, who was an entrepreneur himself, mm -hmm. 
in Philippians 4, 11 to 13, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Mm -hmm. Very powerful verse. Which leads us to our final myth to debunk. God wants you to be poor. Now that's another, another lie. It's another snare. There are many Christians who react to the extreme of the prosperity gospel. I mean, it is an extreme. If you've ever heard the prosperity gospel, it's just completely... There's some things that I've heard out there. It's just completely whack. I mean, this is crazy. So they kind of do the right thing by reacting to it, but they react overly. They go too far the other way. So they believe that, hey, the prosperity gospel is so untrue, God actually wants you to be poor, which is another lie. That's just That just isn't true. I mean, what father wants his children to be in want? Think about that. Now, like I said before, for a season, God might see it as necessary for you to go through some financial trial to teach you a principle, a lesson, or maybe to draw you closer to him. But it isn't his will for you to suffer want just for the sake of want. I mean, that's not how God operates at all. So I believe that if you're undergoing a season of financial difficulty, there's a lesson to be learned there, right? I mean, obviously, God is working through your life in this hardship season to teach you something. But that is not his final will for you. It's not not saying, like, I want you to be broke. Because, I mean, seriously, it just defies the heart of the Father to think that he would do such a thing. There is a purpose behind it, okay? So whatever season of brokenness you're going through, any kind of hardship, including financial, there's a purpose behind it, and it's not your final destination, hopefully, okay? Hopefully. Now you might say, yeah, but look at uh, everywhere in the world, there's some people who are poor forever. I know that, and yet some of them aren't believers, so that affects the the whole ballgame for them. Others need to learn a lesson there too even if they're not in america or canada canada or another country there's lessons to be learned there too and some of them it's a leadership problem that they don't control that's above them others are under a curse i mean let's face it there are spiritual curses out there i mean there are countries under curses mm-hmm. i mean not, not just uh, individuals okay there's family curses there's individual curses. so i don't want to get into all that okay it's case by case but i think knowing the heart of the father It is not God's will for you to be poor and to stay poor, okay? It's not God's will necessarily for you to be completely wealthy and millionaire. That might not be it. But I don't think it's his will for you to be poor either, okay? So if, listen to this, okay? This is very important. If you retain nothing from this podcast, but this very principle that I'm about to tell you, it will be enough. Now listen to this. God doesn't send growth where there is poor management. I'll repeat that. God doesn't send growth where there is poor management. As a Christian entrepreneur, you need to be a good steward 
of the resources that God gives you in order for God to deem you worthy for any increase. And I mean, that's just sound management in any company or organization, right? You don't give promotions to people who work bad, who manage resources bad. So, no, God doesn't want you to be poor or in want. But on the other hand, he doesn't want to add prosperity to poor managers and leaders. So, for the Christian entrepreneur, this is crucial to understand. So, you have to take a good look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, how well am I managing God's resources that he entrusted to me? Absolutely. That's a, a huge uh a huge point because if he gives you more and you don't know how to manage it if you're very um you know you're a big spender and you don't spend on the right things and there's so many factors here then um, obviously he won't bless you with more yeah while we must remain aware that money doesn't necessarily bring happiness i can guarantee that it brings more happiness than poverty ever has you can definitely take that to the bank <laughs> pun intended a friend of mine once said, if you really want to help and bless other people, it is better done by getting rich first. Oh, yeah. And I know to a lot of Christians, that's like, mm. oh, I can't believe but it. But when I heard this, it made a lot of sense to me. Yes, it does. Before we begin to grow rich, we must first think and grow rich. Yeah. So there's a mind shift that has to happen towards towards money. Mm -hmm. Corrective must, thinking. Exactly. We must correct our thoughts towards money and wealth before we become wealthy and virtuous. Mm. Having said that, there are so many successful business leaders who are Christians that have blessed many, many with their wealth and business, um, with their business knowledge, with their expertise, yeah. and with their wealth. Mm -hmm. Some have found different vehicles like network marketing as an example to create wealth and have built orphanages with that wealth. Mm. There are so many ways you can do good at a larger scale if you choose to use your money in that way, right? So for example, for us to take thriving on purpose to another level, we have used a similar means to do so in the marketing profession. So with this financial vehicle, we are able to push thriving on purpose to another level because our vision requires it. So you can use different streams of, of income, different types of businesses, different vehicles out there. To finance the dream and vision that God gave you. Exactly. It doesn't always have to be, uh, you know, kind of like charity thing. You know, it, it, it can be larger and bigger. Yeah. It, depending on how big your vision is for your business. I mean, your, your entrepreneurship uh, vision, how can I put this? The faith vision, the, 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 the goal, the end in mind, the thing that you want to build as an entrepreneur that God has given you, the vision he's given you, might not necessarily be a monetizable vision. So if it requires money to build, then you need to find that vehicle that's going to enable you to build that vision that God's given you. And it's not always clear cut. That can be confusing for some people. And that's why we help so many people exactly with uh, with just that to find out ways that they can build a vision that god's given them absolutely so ideally in life the goal is to try to be the best that you possibly can and to earn the most that you possibly can so that you can do more for god's kingdom and bless as many as you possibly can i remember jim Rohn in a speech he said God rest his soul, by the way. 
He said, if your best enables you to earn $1 million a year, wonderful. If your best enables you to earn $100,000 a year, wonderful. If your best enables you to make $45,000 a year, wonderful. The point is this. Never, ever live up to only half of your potential. Because if you live up to only half of your potential, it sucks for you and it dishonors your maker in the process. Absolutely. That is very powerful what you just said. So I'm thinking of um, entrepreneurs in general. I know that it's really difficult. Some of you are in startups, some of you are doing different businesses and um, maybe it's not working the the way you'd like it to. Maybe you're looking for extra means of financial ways to help uh, your business thrive. Um, if you'd like to have more information on the financial vehicle that we're using for Thriving on Purpose, um, please uh, shoot us an email. We're on Facebook. Uh, you can look us up there or go to our website, thrivingonpurpose.com and contact us. So we thank you for listening to this week's episode. We hope that it blessed you and it really, um, you know, helped you to see through the different myths yeah, that we are hope out it, there. Yeah, we hope it crystallized basically your, your beliefs about money. Yeah, that it uh, gave you clarity. Clarity, yes. So we hope that this really um, was uh, insightful for you. And if you'd like to get our latest podcast episodes, go to the same website, thrivingonpurpose.com. You can subscribe there. And you'll get our latest podcasts. And sometimes we have occasional resources that you'll get straight to your inbox as well. So uh, don't worry. We won't spam your inbox. Uh, we send out one email a week about. So if you're enjoying our content, kindly leave us a cool review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it. Yes. And if you were blessed, if this has added value to, look, to your life, if this has really been something that you, you grow from, don't hesitate. Share it with others. Because you know what they say? Sharing is caring. Absolutely. So have a great week. Be blessed. And thrive on. Thanks for listening to the Thriving on Purpose podcast. Be sure to visit thrivingonpurpose.com to access the show notes and to discover more fantastic content. Until next time, be blessed and may you thrive on purpose.